Welcome to Sword and Shield, the official podcast of the 960th Cyberspace Wing. Join us for insight, knowledge, mentorship, and some fun as we discuss relevant topics in and around our wing. Please understand that the views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of the U.S. Air Force nor the Air Force Reserve, and no endorsement of any particular person or business is ever intended. Good day, gladiators. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Sword and Shield podcast. This is Francis Martinez, Director of Psychological Health for the 960 Cyberspace Wing. Um, before we get started, we do have a disclaimer on this podcast. Um, just want you to be aware that we will be talking about sexual assault. Um, so this may be very sensitive to our listeners, uh, just to be mindful. Um, if at any time you feel like you cannot, uh, continue on with this podcast, uh, you know, you can step aside and, um, reach out if you're needing assistance. So we will get you those numbers to our helping agencies um, towards the end of the podcast. Um, for those that, that do not want to continue on listening, um, the DOD 24-hour safe helpline, their phone number is 877-995-5247. Uh, there is the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, also known as RAIN. Their phone number is 800-656-HOPE. And if you're local to the JBSA San Antonio area, the Rape Crisis Center of San Antonio is 210-349-7273. So our guest today is uh, Ms. Samantha Mendez. So Sam, I'm going to turn it over to you to introduce yourself and tell our listeners um, what you do and where um, you're located. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Samantha Mendez. I live in the Phoenix area, Phoenix, Arizona, and I am a nurse. Specifically, I am a forensic nurse examiner. Sometimes people might hear the terminology sex assault nurse examiner, so those oftentimes can be used interchangeably. Uh, my Personally, my title is forensic nurse examiner, so what I do is I see patients that have experienced certain forms of violence, so sexual violence, um, domestic violence, child abuse, anything that kind of falls under the abuse and violence domain, we see those patients. We see patients of all ages, so from zero up to, you know, 100, basically, and just want to make sure that as the nurse caring for those patients that we provide support, whether it's emotional support, um, meeting their mental health needs, physical needs, anything they might need after experiencing something so traumatic. So thank you for joining us. Um, so recently we had completed our sexual assault um, annual training, and, and that's why I kind of like to have these conversations to continue those conversations and just to educate our public um, about, you know, what the resources that are out there that are available um, and kind of the prevalence, because, you know, we hear a lot, you know, sexual harassment, sexual assault, especially recently with the whole Me Too movement and, and people are coming forward um, that haven't been able to speak out before. Um, and I mean, I think, let me get some numbers for you, because I, I don't want to quote off the top of my head. But the DOD annual report on sexual assault in the fiscal year 2020, so we don't have the 2021 results yet, 
Um, sexual assaults in fiscal year 2020 across the DOD, 6,290 assaults. And that's only the reported assaults. We know that there are a lot of other people um, that have been assaulted um, and haven't come forward due to you know, fears of what's gonna happen. So in 2020, that was a 1% increase from 2019 fiscal year 2019. So it is out there, right? We know that it's there. Um, we have these programs to kind of wrap around and provide support to the survivors. I don't really like calling them victims, but for the survivors of, of these um, of these acts. And, you know, this is really why I wanted to have this conversation, right? Be talk about the prevalence and, you know, what it means to, to those that have been or think they have been or um, assaulted. Yeah, uh, we definitely know that it is happening, right? Um, and it probably happens way more than even the numbers reflect, because a lot of people might not choose to come forward, not choose to talk about it. And, you know, it, it's a big decision to kind of open up and take that first step to say that I need medical help or I need mental health help. And so just knowing that there are people out there that are here to listen and provide support in a very non-judgmental way um, and, you know, address whatever needs they might have. Maybe they're concerned about pregnancy and we can make sure they get access to medications to help prevent pregnancy or have whatever discussions that looks like for the individual. Um, you know, maybe they're concerned about, maybe this is, they were assaulted by someone that they know. And so we can have discussions about safety and what safety looks like. Um, you know, maybe they're having lots of pain or they might have injuries after. And those are all things that we can address in a very supportive, what we call trauma-informed so, manner. So making sure that we're not re-traumatizing them. Yeah, and so um, sometimes people don't know if they've been sexually assaulted, if they don't know how to identify what sexual assault really means, right? So just uh, informationally, consent, right? What does consent really mean? So it's a freely given agreement to engage in sexual activities, right? It is mutual between all parties involved, it must be obtained regardless of how a person is dressed or the past sexual history um, of or with um, that person. And consent cannot be given as someone is placed in fear, threatened, or incapable of giving consent. Drugs, alcohol, right? Most of the time they're unable to give consent. Um, consent can also be revoked at any time. Right. So people um, kind of tend like, well, you said yes to begin with. So we're going to continue going forward. Um, but consent can be withdrawn at any time. And when no is stated, that means no, stop, you know. Um, and so just so people know that that is what consent really means. And if you feel like things have progressed even after you said no, then uh, we recommend talking to someone about that and, and what that really looks like for those people. Yeah, I think that we need to have more discussions about consent really at all ages. Um, you know, th these are discussions I think we should be having very early on. Um, there's really great videos that I recommend, especially like for adolescents that are starting to 
you know, really come into their sexuality. It's called consent is like tea. There's two versions out there. So one is kind of an explicit version. There's some curse words. So if you don't want your kids hearing that, maybe look up the clean version. But it gives a really good example of what consent is and what it isn't and really highlights that consent can be withdrawn. Um, that just because you maybe have consensual sex with someone one day, that doesn't mean the next day they're going to want to engage in those same activities. Um, you know, and we also talk about consent, but there are maybe situations where it's beyond more than just no means no, like someone being coerced into or kind of talked into that something that they don't feel comfortable with. Um, and so I, I really think that we need to have these larger discussions about what healthy consensual sex and, um, you know, relationships look like. Yeah. And that's a real movement that we have started, right? We here at the wing have, um, had discussions on healthy relationships. What is a healthy relationship? What identifies that? Um, and in these healthy discussions. And so we're always trying to be on the forefront of educate on the education side, rather than the reactive the reactive side. And so that's really what we've taken in that initiative of that holistic person, you know, starting with the education and then prevention and, and, uh, you know, in the cases that we do have that come up that are reactive, then we can um, provide that crisis intervention if necessary. So talking a little bit about, um, you know, in the uh, sexual assault uh, prevention and response uh, that we had, um, they talked a little bit about like the SANE exams, what that looks like, um, because all of us have, um, well, all the leadership and supervisors, um, they all have reporting uh, obligations, right? If someone reports a sexual assault to them, they have to contact uh, law enforcement and the recommendation from there. Um, is generally going to a hospital. And here in San, San Antonio, uh, Methodist Specialty and Transplant is that facility that um, has the this, uh, same nurses. Um, so how can you talk a little bit about what that looks like when someone shows up either at the ER or do they have to schedule appointments? Um, does law enforcement have to you know, take them? What is What does that whole um, situation look like? The process looks very different from state to state and even within states, but generally speaking, um, you know, there's kind of two ways, at least where I work, that someone can get connected with a SANE exam or a, um, you know, sometimes we use the words rape kit, like collection of a rape kit. And so one, someone can go to the hospital and, and it sounds like in where in your area, they can go directly to the hospital or they can contact law enforcement if they're wanting to file a police report. Federal mandates kind of say that if someone is an adult and they have the ability to make decisions for themselves, they don't have, they don't have to file a police report in order to have an exam and evidence collection. Um, if it's someone underage, there's mandatory reporting requirements that we would have to, to notify law enforcement. But so generally speaking, once they get connected with a SANE nurse, then, you know, that, that whole process would get started. So the exam kind of from start to finish is a little bit lengthier than, say, going to your doctor's office. So imagine the last time you went to the doctor and had a physical 
you know, maybe that took maximum of 30 minutes. Because there is a lot more that goes into this process, it's going to look a little bit lengthier. So first, you know, we would establish consent. Um, and this is consent in the medical speaking. So we want to make sure that we're explaining to that patient everything that we're going to be doing and that they're understanding what the process looks like and making sure that they're okay. And this consent is kind of established throughout the exam. So each step we're going to explain, this is what's going to happen next. Are you okay? And just kind of checking in with them to making to make sure that they're still emotionally, um, you know, physically doing okay. Once we've established consent, we do a little bit of screening, so asking about past medical history, um, you know, if they've had surgeries, any medications they're on, routine questions you get asked at the doctor's office. And then we would do a physical exam. So we're looking at the whole body for any injuries, you know, any scratches, bruises, anything that might be associated with what they experienced. Um, and then from there, we're also doing some evidence collection. So we might take, you know, blood, urine, especially if we're concerned about any drugs or alcohol that might be in the system. You know, we're going to take these really long Q-tip swabs and swab certain parts of the body for anything like, um, you know, body fluids, any DNA from the person that may have assaulted them. And then we can also collect clothing, clothing for evidence. After the physical exam and um, you know any evidence collection, then we would have discussions about medications to help prevent against sexually transmitted infection, um, you know, anything to help prevent against pregnancy. So a lot of people are familiar with Plan B. That's one of our options that we can use. And really any other health concerns that they might have. Um, you know, and then every patient is going to have different needs. So if we have to discuss safety or making sure they have resources for counseling, this is something very traumatic they've experienced. So counseling and emotional mental health support is going to be crucial to help with their recovery. And so, you know, basically from start to finish, it can take a, a pretty lengthy process, about an hour, but we are going to tailor the exam for each patient to making to make sure that they're comfortable and that they're you know they have a say and choice throughout the whole process. And is there a time that it's like I don't want to say too late, but you know there's I'm sure there's a time that you know within this time frame is more optimal to to have these types of exams because you know sometimes when traumas happen people don't think of hey, let me go to the ER. It's, they're in distress. They are trying to, you know, figure out what's, what the next steps are. And sometimes, you know, it could be days or weeks before they even decide to, to move forward. Here in Arizona, the time frame for this type of exam and evidence collection is 120 hours. So five days from the time of the assault. Some states are a little bit longer, so it might be seven days. I think the military has a seven-day timeline. Um, you know, it, it kind of varies from state to state, so it's typically between three days, 72 hours, to up to that seven-day mark. Um, but I would say that, you know, even if you're outside of that window, that it's still important to get some sort of mental health and, and physical health support. So 
you know, reaching out to the RAIN hotline to see what the resources are in your state. Where I work, we have what's called victim advocates and there's no time limit to them. So they can reach out to a victim advocate and get whatever support that they need, whether it is counseling, um, getting you know, a, a, a follow-up exam with their regular doctor. Maybe they don't have a doctor, so the victim advocate can work with them to making sure that they can get those re really whatever resources they need. And so for the military, um, military and then uh, DOD civilians and uh, dependents over the age of 18 can contact uh, their local SAPR office, which is a sexual assault pr uh, prevention and response teams. Um, and so they have the Special Victims Council, the um, JAG officers that can help with the legal portion, um, and then it's centered around uh, the victims, right? Like the, the advocacy, getting the appropriate help that they're needing, um, and then whatever comes after, right? If command has to be notified, uh, depending on the type of reporting, because in the military, there's the unrestricted reporting, um, and then there's the restricted restricted reporting. So just depending on what avenue a person takes will, you know, branch off into other uh, tasks that will need to be completed. Um, the other question um, is, so if, if someone comes in on that fifth day, what do you recommend? Do you recommend them bringing the clothing that they had the day of? Um, any, anything that, you know, would be helpful? I would say definitely if someone is considering an exam, regardless of the time frame, avoiding showering if possible, um, you know, avoiding going to the bathroom as much as possible. I know that's hard to say, you have to do what you have to do. And then if you do have the clothes that were worn, bring those in because those can be used as evidence. But also if someone has showered even a hundred times, you still have the opportunity to have an exam. And I always tell my patients if they've showered a bunch, gone to the bathroom a bunch, you know, we can still do everything we can to help you and try and get as much evidence as possible. But beyond just that evidence collection, there's that, I know I keep saying this, but the emotional needs, the mental health needs, the physical needs. So that's really what we're focusing on as most important during this process for our patients. And so we have uh, people that live all over the United States. Um, if they don't have a sane nurse in their local area, what generally happens? So if they don't have a sane nurse in their local area, they the exam might be done in the ER by maybe a doctor, a doctor and a nurse who maybe doesn't have as much training as a, a sane or a forensic nurse, but um, you know, they can still go and to the hospital and ask if there is someone available to perform that evidence collection. And can you talk a little bit about the training piece of, um, of what your position does in case, you know, people are interested in, in that route? Yeah. So to become a SANE or a forensic nurse, you have to first have gone to nursing school and be a nurse. Um, so I, you know, went to four-year nursing program, became a nurse, and then you have to have some experience as a nurse and work as a nurse for some time. It, it kind of varies. Um, you know, I think the recommendation is about two years. A lot of nurses coming into this practice have more experience than that. 
And, you know, that might experience might be in the ER, uh, the intensive care unit, and, or labor and delivery, just different areas. And then from there, there's some additional training. So you have to take a 40-hour course to learn about how to care for patients that have experienced sexual violence. Depending on the, the age range that you're interested in working, there's two different courses. So there's an adult and adolescent course, and then there's a pediatric course. So myself taking care of all ages, I've taken both of those. And then you have to do on the job training. So you're being shadowed or shadowing alongside an experienced nurse. So when I became a forensic nurse, I had to work alongside a, a nurse that was well seasoned and had been doing this for some time. Um, and then beyond that, once you start working in this field, there's it's really important to stay on top of the best evidence or the best possible way to care, care for these patients. So there's ongoing education that's required. So it sounds like you are really like um, in-depth education. It's not just, a, you know, you're just a nurse from the psych unit or a nurse from uh, you know, the OR, it's like you're specifically trained to handle these situations. Correct. Uh, last thing I, before we wrap up, um, I know there's like a testimony or subpoena part of, um, of your position. Can you talk briefly about, about what that looks like and, and what that role is? Yeah. So the, obviously there is a piece of this role where we are collecting evidence that potentially could be used in the criminal justice system. So when these cases, if these cases do progress to that, we would get a subpoena to testify in court. And a lot of times it stresses the nurses out to have to go to court. But I always say that, one, you were there for that patient. Um, your role, your primary role was as a nurse. And so what we do in court is really just education. We're there to teach about our job, what we did, um, you know, what what we saw, and really just educate, you know, the jury, the judge, and the both sides of the prosecution and defense on, you know, what our findings were. So, really, as nurses, we aren't working for law enforcement, and so it's really important that we are there objectively and um, using all of that education and training to be able to educate in in the court. Well, it sounds like you are a wealth of knowledge and we can continue this conversation for, I'm sure, uh, hours uh, upon end. So I appreciate you, um, you know, speaking to us briefly about it. Uh, just for our listeners, um, the Department of the Air Force has a zero tolerance um, on sexual assault. So sexual assault will not be tolerated. Um, everyone deserves uh, to be treated with respect and everyone is expected to play a part in prevention, right? It's not just my role. It's not just Sam's role. It's not just, um, you know, the leadership's role. It's everyone's responsibility uh, for prevention. And if you or someone you know have been sexually assaulted and need assistance, the DOD 24-hour um, safe helpline is 877-995-5247. The Rape Crisis Center that's local to San Antonio is 210-349-7273. And then the, the last number is RAIN, which is the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network at 800-656-HOPE. 
So Sam, thank you so much again for joining us today. Uh, I'm sure you're enjoying the, the hot, crispy weather out there in Phoenix. We're enjoying the 100 plus degree weather here in San Antonio. Uh, so thanks again for joining us. Of course, thank you so much. All right, gladiators out.